Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are continuing with our read-through of Catching Fire, looking at chapters 20 and 21. Chris, can you give us a recap of what happens? Katniss panics at Peta's heart stopping, but Finnick performs CPR on him. When Peta recovers, Katniss sobs and thinks about how she now owes Finnick for Peta's life. Peta says he's okay to move, if slowly, so they begin to explore, with Katniss leading them alongside the edge of the force field, which she sees acts as a dome around the small circular arena. Eventually, they make camp, and that night, the group gets a sponsored delivery of a steel tube, which Katniss realizes is a spile to get water out of the trees. As they sleep, Tone chimes twelve times, then lightning hits a tall tree. After a couple more hours, fog rolls in towards their camp. She begins to blister their skin and attack their nerves and muscles. They flee, but have to carry Mags and Peta. When Katniss can no longer carry her weight, Mags kisses Finnick and then voluntarily runs into the fog, falling and dying immediately. The other three continue to run, falling just outside the fog's territory, then crawling down the beach to the water, which painfully sucks the poison out of them. After they heal, Peta goes to use the spile on a tree, but when Katniss and Finnick go to help, they see that there are scores of monkey mutts staring down from the tree branches, who attack as soon as Peta looks up at them. The three work together to try and fight them off, but when one jumps to take down Peta, he is saved by the female morphling from District 6, who leaps in between, the monkey biting into her chest. Already so much death. Yeah. <laughs> These games have truly begun. <laughs> we are into mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, why don't we get into the discussion by talking about our striking moments? Yeah, sure. One thing that I thought was interesting was how innovative they are with the force field. Mm-hmm. After it kills Peta essentially um, and they're able to bring him back they recognize that it has some electric heating properties and so they cook nuts on it they end up cooking tree rat on it they talk about using it as a weapon against any attackers like they, they very much kind of start to innovate in how they are going to operate by having that near them and it just made me think about how Hamish did so. Mm-hmm. That's not only a great callback, but it's also a good reminder that they are happy to defy the capital at this point. Mm-hmm. They, they understand entirely how Hamish was punished for using the force field, and they continue to do it regardless. So even though we don't hear Katniss's inner monologue kind of going through that aspect of it, This read-through, I really started reading that as a more defiant choice that they're making Mm. um, than I I had in previous read-throughs. Yeah. I could also just hear Hamish, wow, you figure out how to use the force field geniuses. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't see anyone else do that before. Mm -hmm. Very original. Yeah, exactly. The other moment that stuck out at me was how during the anthem when they're showing all the tributes who died during the bloodbath mm-hmm. Katniss and Peta immediately hold each other's hands as soon as it starts and they have each other there as physical support and it made me start thinking about these games because you know obviously these games are meant to be cruel and punishing in having it be past victors coming in um, and they, they absolutely are in many ways, as, as, as we talked about with the issues of age and stability and, and other kinds of things that many of these victors are coming in with. But I think that this moment and a few other moments that we see already in these chapters highlight how 
the unity and relationships that exist between these victors is itself a unique thing for these games. Mm-hmm. That That's something that I imagine has not happened in the same way before. And that, at least in that moment of them holding each other's hands, it's a source of strength for them. I think later on when we see Mags and Finnick clearly in agreement on what they're going to do, it's still, I think... A, a place, even in Max Sacrifice, a place of strength, that they have that kind of unity that, yeah, I just don't think you would see in a different games or any games mm-hmm. that didn't have these victors who know each other, who have built relationships, who have uh, just a different history than most tributes do going in. Yeah. 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 So just some interesting new thoughts I had while reading. But what about you? What are your striking moments? So something I was just noticing is the stakes and the rapid pace of the Quell versus Mm. the 74th games. Because between the extra powerful force field, the fog, and the monkey mutts, Pete almost dies three times in less than 24 hours. Yeah. That's just so many times compared to the other games. I mean, four times if you consider the bloodbath. Which is a yeah. deadly time I mean, for everyone. He, he could have died if he didn't get out of there. So yeah, it's just a lot of near-death experience. Totally. Yeah, and, and, and really, a death experience. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. But like, really, he would have died all of the times if he didn't have really both Finnick and Katniss there mm. to help him. So yeah, it's just <laughs> so much is happening already. Uh, where in the last book, Katniss was alone for several days. And so, yeah. Yeah, the first piece of action she sees is seeing Peta with the career pack and... Betrayal! Exactly. And just, like, being upset about it on her own for another couple of days. (laughs) There's the fire, but, like, the mutts don't even come into it until the last few chapters. Uh, I was also thinking about how kind of friendly their alliance is even despite Katniss being so wary Mm. and thinking about several times killing Fennec now (laughs) (laughs) because when Peeta figures out cooking the meat with the force fields they all give him a round of applause Mm. until they quickly stop when they remember where they are and it's such a sweet little moment that they already feel like a group in a lot of ways like ah let's celebrate this smart way of cooking our dinner Mm -hmm. you know and then also when the that first anthem plays and it shows everybody who had died when Katniss is thinking about who's still alive she mentions the four careers and she doesn't put Finnick and Mags in with them yeah so she already doesn't think of them as the careers, which is, yeah, just interesting and I think is contrary to her logic of they could still kill us, I'm going to have to kill Fennec and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think in her feelings, she feels a sense of camaraderie with them. Yeah. Also something that was interesting that I noticed this read-through was... Canis's braid getting damaged Mm. because in this book, the fog damages it. In the 74th Hunger Games, 
the fire damaged it. And so in both games, she has to braid what's left of her hair. And with you pointing out in the last book, her hair being in its braid and and how her feeling more like herself when she's leaving the capital and things like that, and that her braid is linked to part of her identity. So I was wondering if there's something symbolic about that in both games being partially destroyed. Ooh, yeah, that I like that. That's a really good point. I never thought about that before. But I, I didn't either right. until I was reading this time. I was mm. like, ah, her hair's damaged again. Yeah, that that symbolism of of her ties to her life in District Twelve and her identity being damaged so quickly, mm. and not by a fight with someone else, but by the games. The games, exactly. Like the, the machinations of the game makers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So why don't we move into our From Another Point of View. This is a section where we look at points of view other than Katniss's. Yeah, I was first off thinking about those ear reconstruction doctors. <laughs> right. Who uh, are now going to be interviewed and put on the air and just what it would be like for them, you know, if their capital probably loved the attention that they're getting, but also being like nonplussed about we didn't do anything <laughs> and like how to say how, how to gain that attention and like try to gain that notoriety but also being bewildered by the fact that they just repaired her ear they didn't <laughs> you know do something else uh, about that and so yeah i it, it made me think about how all of these people who they're going out and interviewing particularly the capital folks are probably all putting on these big narratives either hyperbolic or entirely fabricated narratives of how they were involved in the games and what that involvement entailed and, and you know, kind of building up their own grandiosity and, and how much their work has affected anything um, mm. because they have that presence in, a, in such a public view. Yeah, interesting. I wonder if any of them would feel anxiety, though. What if people would argue that this is giving her an unfair mm. advantage or if any of them are aware enough of what's going on with uprisings and things like that, if they would think, oh no, would President Snow be upset with us if this is going to mm. provide her with something that others don't have in the arena that could maybe help her make it out? Oh, now I'm just thinking about like, how many people in the capital are like purposely damaging their ears because oh, they God. they want to have Katniss's super hearing? <laughs> I don't know how this pen <laughs> fell into my ear. I just ugh, I ugh. fell on it, it just please. the wrong way. You don't have to go too far down that, so, that path. <laughs> Sorry, he's like he can't take it. No. He's like closing his eyes and shaking no his head. Uh, but also, now that you bring that up, I'm kind of wondering why they even fixed her hearing. Because that's not cosmetic, right? Mm -hmm. And so much of what I assume is the reasoning behind, quote-unquote, fixing the injuries of the victors is because they don't want that aesthetic. They don't want to show the damage that they do. The capital wants to be able to present this image with all of their skin healed and all of the, you know, hearing is is not visible. Yeah, that's true. I, I can imagine maybe even Hamish 
advocating on it while she was still asleep and saying, you know, no, you need to fix everything because what are you going to do? Go on stage and talk about how she lost her hearing? You know, who's going to look good there? So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe some of the doctors, like, understand scientifically the people from the districts aren't any different than them (laughs) and they're like yeah let's fix everything that we can Mm -hmm. so that they you know at least have a slightly easier time on this front yeah yeah who knows yeah the other perspective i want to talk about was phoenix when he basically tells mags that he, he can't do it anymore yeah essentially what he's doing is asking her to die at that point and as we talked about last episode, he cares about Max. He thinks Max likes him for who he is and how rare that is for Finnick. is something that we can already see. Yeah, just what it must mean for him to make that request of her, even if it's something that they've talked about before, which I get the impression they have. You know, I, I just imagine him running, carrying Peta, and losing his strength, losing his control over his body because of the fog, and trying his hardest to to keep going, you know, not knowing how far it's going to be, but just running to the the ends of his abilities. And then for Katniss to, to fall and to not be able to carry Mags, and for him to want so much to be able to carry her, him to want so much to be able to keep going and just recognizing and realizing that it's not going to be possible and they don't have enough time for you know to figure out a new solution Mm -hmm. and so he apologizes and yeah and for her to to have that goodbye to him to kiss him and then to go and die so violently Mm -hmm. with you know losing control of her body it's just i think one of the most sad moments i think we've seen in the games which have been very sad Mm-hmm. But, like, for me, that's like a Rue moment of someone in community with them while, while death is coming and what that looks like uh, and, and what it looks like to have that kind of affection in the games is just really, really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And on that line from last episode where he said, Max is actually one of the few people who likes me. Yeah. So to have one of the few people who actually knows him die but also the wisdom of both of them to know he shouldn't try to carry them both or they will all die yeah yeah that must be such a painful decision that you have to make so quickly mm-hmm. yeah we're finnick oh finnick what about you what perspectives did you want to talk about so what i was thinking about is hamich as he's seeing his friends and acquaintances die this time around like it's always a terrible experience for him to be a mentor in the games but not only for him trying to keep his tributes alive but then also knowing that he might not be able to do that on top of that people that he cares about people that he knows maybe some of the only people he's allowed himself to semi get close to as they gather together every year. Yeah, just how difficult that must have been. And then he sees Peter die. Mm-hmm. It's only a few hours into the games. 
and he must be panicking and he must be so stressed and I don't know if he knew what Finnick was doing either. Yeah. Like, he must have gone in knowing both of them could die, either what maybe one of them will die, plus all these people I know, but, like, actually seeing it happen and so quickly must have been surprising to some degree. And I was also thinking about him collaborating with the District 4 mentors, Mm -hmm. coming to the decision to wait to deliver the spile right after the anthem because that would be a difficult time, mm. uh, particularly for Mags and Finnick, seeing all of these other people that they know and they've known for years and knowing that they died. Because I'm sure that they had the funds before. Mm-hmm. Katniss, Peta, and Finnick would be the highest support gathering tributes in these games and so they must have had the funds and especially after peter was resuscitated i could just see like fans just like (laughs) going down there and throwing money at the situation you know um oh there's definitely a a significant portion of the capital that just wanted to see peta and finnick lock lips (laughs) it's true (laughs) (laughs) and so that choice of waiting, I think, as just a very, very small act of support mm-hmm. of something to get their mind off of seeing these people that they know in the sky. Yeah. I was also kind of picturing Effie being beside herself with the stress of the situation mm. and crying, especially when Peter dies. And then as she thinks that they're going to die time and time again because they almost do and Hamish just like trying to tune her out and kind of wishing that Senna was there to support her and yeah. like field her questions and you know which I kind of assume maybe I mean Senna and Effie were both in the capital mm-hmm. and I kind of assumed that last games they were able to interact with each other in a different way than with Hamish. Yeah. Also, Hamish not wanting to go down thoughts of about Senna either, but then having Effie probably asking Portia and the prep team, like, has anybody seen Senna? What is going on? Mm-hmm. Why is he not here? He was here with us last time. While well, Hamish just knows, and he has known since the second that wedding dress transformed into the Mockingjay, that... He would have been executed for it and trying to ignore that in the midst of all of this death and sadness and stress and trying to keep these people alive but also with such a small arena there being so little he can do at the same time Mm -hmm. yeah that also makes me think about how he would react when he sees pita's mockingjay pendant Mm-hmm. Okay, you're making it harder for me to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. You know? But also, it is good for the uprising. Exactly. Yeah. Which is another moment I love that Pete is like, is it okay that I'm using your Mockingjay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also by asking, bringing attention to the fact. Mm-hmm. Oh, Peta. <laughs> another point of view I was thinking about is. A little bit of a spoiler, but I think only till the next chapter. Mm. 
So proceed at your own whims. <laughs> um, I was thinking about Johanna Mason mm. because she's not on the page with us, but we'll run into her very soon. And we did hear a cannon go off. And that is Blight, mm. who was from her district. Because she says that he's died when she runs into them. Mm. Just thinking about her having to deal with this blood rain and having to deal with someone from her district who she's also known for years. Might have been her mentor. Yeah. Him dying and her making the decision to stick with Wyrus and Beattie even when she doesn't seem like she has a lot of affection for them. <laughs> and in a time when she would probably like to just be alone, mm. her being the only one in that group that can really fight. Yeah. Whereas Katniss, Peta, and Finnick could all fight. Obviously Katniss and Finnick to a really high degree. And so Mags was the only one who couldn't yeah but with johanna she's the only one after blight died yeah she's just alone mm -hmm. with them so yeah just how lonely and scary and frustrating the whole situation would be yeah we we know that johanna can get angry easily <laughs> and so uh i can imagine her being very upset at the entire situation and Particularly having to do so in a way that is isolating as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the last one that I had is a spoiler. So if you haven't finished the end of this book yet, you're going to want to skip three minutes ahead. So I was thinking about Plutarch Heavensby as the head game maker, watching all of this happen and knowing that he has to try to also keep Katniss alive well not just Katniss but the others too yeah. but especially Katniss while not seeming like he's doing that and with all of these other game makers who are not that's not their aim you know so I was thinking about him waiting for Finnick to resuscitate Peta instead of firing a cannon mm. because he died yeah his heart stopped and I remember actually the first time I ever read the book, knowing that there was something weird going on with that situation. I was like, what is happening? Why did they not fire a cannon? Like, why would it just not already be, okay, well, we're sending in the hovercraft because mm -hmm. he died. But I, like, couldn't figure it all out. But thinking about him having to justify that to the other game makers and maybe even President Snow making up that it's all for the entertainment and it'll I be... I didn't want to distract from this dramatic moment. Exactly. Yeah. And how much more will the people in the capital love seeing Finnick save Peta's life? Like, they love <laughs> both of them so much. And... Because Peter will be here longer, it'll make it even more heart-wrenching when he dies later on for Katniss or vice versa. And maybe even a conversation with Snow saying that it'll be even better now that Peter's alive again and that Finnick saved him 
for when Katniss turns and kills Finnick mm-hmm. because he saved Peta for her and then she turns around and kills him and that'll help dismantle her as a hero even yeah. further. So I was just thinking about like managing all of those fronts of what's going on and you have it set up a certain way but is there like little bits of wiggle room of how quickly you have this <laughs> fog proceed down the slope and things like that. Because it's not just a, ah, oh, whoever lives, you know, as long as we do a good production, that's my job as a game maker. Like, he can't be in that mindset. So it, there's this whole other level of stress and strategy going on that must be a lot. <laughs> yeah, and something that he can't show people either. He has no. to, you know, really bottle up. Yeah. Yeah, and have like, yeah, all sorts of justifications yeah. for whatever he's doing. But why don't we move into our touch points? This is where we talk about things that we see in the book chapters and how they correspond to things we see in our own world. What do you have? Yeah, so I just have one this week. And that's how the fog reminded me of chemical warfare. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, so chemical warfare, it's considered a weapon of mass destruction. I think a large part of that is because it, like the fog, is essentially turning an environment against people. And it's a war crime. And it's a war crime. And it's a way of attacking that has no distinction between civilians and non-civilians and military personnel. And it typically is going to have repercussions that last far beyond the... Mm -hmm conflict that's that's a part of so yeah i i I think that it's a a really important thing to think about when we think about the kinds of tools that places like the capital use because this is still when you think about things historically a pretty modern idea you know chemicals were used at different points in history but the modern use of chemical warfare really started in world war one with things like mustard gas that didn't actually kill a ton of people uh, comparatively, but it did cause a ton of maiming, disfigurations, you know, other kinds of ailments. By World War II, it wasn't used very much by any of the allies or the axis against the allies because of fears of mutually assured destruction, basically. If we use it, they'll use it on us. Mm -hmm. And so most countries had, like, plans that they could use it defensively, but... Um, the majority of the usage was actually from the Japanese against other Asian countries. Hmm. But, of course, it was used against non-combatants in the Holocaust, um, with three million people dying from gas, specifically, in the concentration camps. But for us, as two Americans, I think it's important for us to talk about Vietnam. Absolutely, yeah. This is a horrific use of chemical weapons that was just something that our country was cool with. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I looked up some figures, and during the war in Vietnam, 19 million gallons of quote-unquote herbicides mm-hmm. were used in South Vietnam between 1962 and 1971, covering about 20% of the forests in South Vietnam. Oh my god. And of course, the the idea behind these herbicides was that it would make it so that the 
region would be less productive, which meant the Viet Cong, who are operating out of the south, would have less food to supply themselves with, which already is messed up on its own. But the fact that we really just didn't care about the actually disastrous effects this has on people now and in the future um, yeah. is, I think, a, a big deal as well. Um, it ultimately negatively affected more than 4.8 million Vietnamese, killing over 400,000 people and causing another million people to have severe health issues, disabilities, including disabilities from birth. Uh, not to mention probably about 2 million American soldiers who were affected in some way as well. And so, yeah, we... Uh... And why? Because, no, you can't govern yourselves the way you want to govern yourselves. Exactly. That's, that's the justification for it. Yeah. So awful. Eventually, the U.S. did sign a convention to destroy all of our chemical weapons. Uh, 193 countries have signed on to this. Uh, we signed on in 1997, but surprise, we missed our 2012 deadline to actually destroy all of our weapons. And so we're currently shooting for 2023. So 2087? Yeah, who knows? One of the things is that it takes a lot of work to destroy these extremely dangerous chemicals and weapons safely. Yeah, without poisoning people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so we have to hire, basically, corporate contractors to do a lot of this work. And I think that's important because it's also true that we hired the corporate contractors to make these <laughs> weapons in the first place. Let's give them more money. <laughs> so, you know... It shows how much of this is also related to the horrors of capitalism, mm -hmm. um, and in particular, American imperialist capitalism. Boo. So, yes, and this fog, I think the the horrors of it are just a, a, a kind of firm reminder of how it is to be in an area that has been purposefully poisoned, mm -hmm. and for you to have that being used against you regardless of what your intentions are, right? If this is just a place that you're living, and in this case, a place they're forced to live because mm -hmm. of the capital's wills, and then is used against them in this way, and is something that you can't fight against, something that is uh, pervasive. It just, you know, it goes everywhere. You can't put up a, a wall against it because it's in the air. You know, it's, uh, it's something that is just horrifying. And this is something that many people have had to live through in the last hundred years. Um, and many of those people were having to live through that because of, you know, decisions that our government made. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that's my touch point. The capital's awful and so are we. <laughs> <laughs> this could be the conclusion of every episode. Right. <laughs> but yes, very true. A very good point. And... I love that you brought it up. I don't know why I wasn't thinking about that. So thank you for bringing that up. Mm -hmm. And it actually perfectly goes with one of the things I was thinking for touch points. When I was thinking about the woven grass mats mm. and bowls that Mags was weaving and, and Finnick as well. And when I think about woven containers and baskets and things like that coming from north america i obviously think about native american mm -hmm. practices of that but there are also grass weaving or plant weaving from cultures all over the world asia oceania and africa so this time instead of 
reading it and kind of picturing things that I'm more familiar with, the Native American styles of basket weaving and patterns and things like that, I was imagining Vietnamese styles of mats and baskets. And since Vietnam is third in the world for seafood production and Mm -hmm. exporting, and seafood is District 4's main production. Yeah. I was thinking about that, and in Vietnam, some traditional weaving practices actually utilize marine plants. Hmm. Also, with mags weighing around 70 pounds, you know she can't really be at all over five foot, and so she's small in stature. So yeah, I was just imagining that this time, and so then you bringing up the chemical warfare and Vietnam, now her death is just... so much more sad yeah and horrific and terrible and also powerful yeah 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 you're you're reading the districts from you know and tying that to our own world has been really interesting these these kinds of new insights that's brought out that's why i keep doing it i'm like oh this is interesting and at least it is to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah but ours combined this time was Yeah. Ugh. Another one that I have that is a happy one. (gasps) What? I know, right? A happy touch point. Maybe the second or third we've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Is I was thinking about the tree rat that Katniss describes as being like a cross between a rat and a possum. Mm -hmm. So it was just reminding me of when you're completely unfamiliar with certain animals because you've never been to that part of the world before. Yeah. And one of my friends from Taiwan, when she was visiting me a few years back, we were walking around Pasadena in Los Angeles and she stops and is just like, oh, what what is that and i look over i was like oh that's a possum and she was just like enamored she like brought out her phone and was taking pictures she's like oh it's so cute i was like i don't think that we really think of that as being super cute here but sure why not like she loved it i mean also a lot of people don't think mice and rats and stuff are cute i think they're adorable mm. but whatever and yeah i guess possums are kind of oversized them it was just walking around at night in Pasadena, and she was just like, what is that? And it's just, yeah, when you've never come across a certain animal, it's just this weird experience. What are you? Are you safe? Are you, you know? <laughs> it's just, uh, it's it's a cool experience, I think. Totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. Funnily enough, what comes to mind when I think about that are monkeys. Because um, mm. when I was living in Japan, monkeys were just around and like sometimes they're just annoying pests <laughs> exactly they're like <laughs> raccoons to us yeah only even better at getting into things yeah. <laughs> even creepier because they look a little exactly. too look look at their hands we don't like that they have those opposable <laughs> thumbs <laughs> uh but yeah so sometimes i'd just be you know driving around my town and there's just a bunch of monkeys in the road and they would just stare at me and I'd have to <laughs> s- drive around them because what am I going to do? It's a monkey in the middle of the They're road. They're not scared of you. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, like all, you know, many of the other American teachers and I would, especially the first times we see them, be like, 
it's a monkey. Well, yeah. What you know? And then my students were always just like, yeah, they're monkeys. Like, yeah. oh, so? And he's like, oh, that's right. North America is basically the only place in the world that doesn't have monkeys. <laughs> Until the Hunger Games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> well, on a happier note, why don't we move into our wonderment section? Something that we're kind of chewing on or some unanswered questions that we have from these chapters. So I was thinking uh, about how viewers in the capital and viewers in the districts see Finnick doing CPR on PETA. Mm. Because has anything like that ever happened in the games before? The idea of anyone giving CPR is probably fairly rare. It's not like there's a CPR station in the training center. It's not a skill that is readily provided to to most tributes. Um, But especially giving CPR to someone from a different district. I can imagine it maybe being done to someone from the same district, but from someone, even an ally from a different district, I think is probably not a common occurrence. And so, yeah, I can imagine the capital kind of seeing this as, you know, part of some narrative. Uh, I wonder what that would be, um, how they try to spin it and how people Mm. try to kind of engage with that. But for the districts, I see this really as something that could be activating for solidarity between the districts and ideas of unity against the capital and Mm -hmm. rebellion. Absolutely. I mean, think about the different things that Katniss did in the last games that were fairly defiant of the rules of the games Mm -hmm. and how Peto wasn't trying to save himself and things like that. And then here, I mean, this is arguably the most defiant thing that Finnick will ever do, possibly, because it's saving another tribute's life that could result in his death. Yeah. And it's coming from Finnick, who was a career, Mm -hmm. probably, and who in many ways is one of the most beloved victors by the capital. You know, some people probably see him as more like the capital than maybe they might see even other victors. And so for him to do something like this is, yeah, really powerful. I mean, yeah, if you think about the betting that's going on in the capital, you know that Katniss and Finnick have to be the favored ones Mm -hmm. in these games. Even though there's a lot of people who could pose strong threats, they are just gonna get the most sponsorship. You know, maybe if some people thought Katniss has been a little too defiant or something, (laughs) that might bring it down. But then other people was like, oh, she's pregnant, you know, like, it'll bring it back up. So it's a huge deal to not only bring someone back who's not from your district, but who now you're having... Two from 12 against you, one from District 4. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, talk about stacking the odds not in your favor. Mm-hmm. Oh, Finnick. Oh, Finnick. What about you? What are your wonderments? One is just why the bloodbath took hours. Mm. It's it's just such a sad thing. And I don't, I don't know if the game makers could have had any sort of hand in it, like prolonging the deaths of certain people there or if even some like ah i'll sponsor you Mm -hmm. and obaria if you kill some people but like 
in a way that will they'll slowly bleed out or something like to prolong the drama mm. and like the emotion of all of these victors who you know dying i, I don't know i just the other one didn't last hours yeah. like that so yeah uh that was a question i had and another one was what info do the mentors get about the environment of the arenas mm. and do the mentors have a kind of digital shop to choose gifts from or can mentors request gifts outside of a certain set options because there's no way that Hamish would know what a spile was mm. Katniss knew because she went out into the woods with her father and even so it was so rare and so long ago that it took her a while to remember yeah. what it was and so yeah I I'm just wondering what that process is like. Is there a certain, like, kind of digital catalog where you can, like, choose different things and, like, have a little description? Or do you literally ask, okay, well, the game makers are talking about there's water in these trees. So then Haymitch just goes up and is like, uh, how do we extract the water? Whatever mm -hmm. tool would let us do that? You know, I, I just kind of wonder about that process because if it's just ask for anything you'd think it would have to go through a review process mm -hmm. and then be approved yeah. by the game makers so you'd think some sort of digital shop would be easier but then yeah there's parameters so yeah i don't know yeah i think i find that fascinating too that what that process is like totally and then it would be really fascinating if any mentors have ever real i could particularly think of BD or virus being able to know oh you could use this and this other thing together mm -hmm. to form a more helpful device you know whatever it is absolutely um yeah if you could like layer gifts and stuff would be interesting mm -hmm. but yeah why don't we go into our intention section to close this episode out and this is where we take something from these chapters that we want to take with us into our own lives. Yeah, so I was thinking a lot about Mag's sacrifice mm. and how impactful that was, um, but also how important it was that she made that choice. Yeah. Um, and, we, you know, we talk a lot about agency on this show, and, and I think about that historically a lot. So I guess my, uh, even though I don't in my day-to-day -day see people making such extreme sacrifices you know people do sacrifice for one another for those they care about and whether that's sacrificing time or money or or you know energy or whatever else it is uh certainly i can think about like my mom making sacrifices for her kids and uh some of my friends who've sacrificed for me when i've been in a low point or, or whatever else it might be and, and my initial reaction to that is always like no don't do anything for me. Don't put yourself out in particular. The idea of you putting yourself out feels like I am taking advantage in a way or, or what mm -hmm. have you. But especially looking through the prism of Mag's decision, I feel like me reacting that way isn't of itself a way of negating their agency because it's saying that they're not making this choice of their own free will. And so my intention is basically to... Be more accepting of sacrifices that people choose to make for me. Um, and is this an elaborate way to ask me to sacrifice for you? <laughs> no, <it's not>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, to to accept the the things that people do give for me 
and to, to think about it through that prism of respecting their choices. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, what about you? What's your intention? I was thinking about Katniss being confused by Finnick saving Peta's life, by resuscitating him, yet she and Peta automatically, without discussion, pour salt water on Finnick mm-hmm. to rid him of the acidic fog. They could have let him die instead of saving him. And that's what she's so confused about. <laughs> <laughs> but it never crossed Katniss's mind. We're in Katniss's mind. It never crossed her mind to just let Finnick die. Yeah. Even though he would have without their help. So I, I just kind of appreciate, even though it, it's coming from a sad source, the fact that Katniss doesn't have expectations that she puts on others. And so every act of kindness or help is a gift. Mm. She obviously has the unhealthy paradigm of feeling like she owes people back. Yeah. But she still recognizes it as something that they did for her. Mm. And as they're running away from the fog, even thinks like, oh, it's so good that I did not kill him earlier. <laughs> like, we would not survive without him. You know, and she has a thankfulness about her yeah. there. And so I think my intention is just not having expectations on people for mm. how they will act or how kind they will be or things like that. Not to say that you don't hold anybody to any sorts of standards, not that, but then being able to hopefully be in a more grateful, celebratory place when it does happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just maintaining your greatness. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean to think about it more. Like sometimes I do get frustrated that people are so like ah, selfish or destructive, I've dysfunctional. That in, yes. You know, things like that. And obviously, you don't want them to be that way. Yeah. But you know, you you don't always know where people are coming from either, and what they have available to give, and their resources and stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up this week's discussion. So what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So next week, we will be looking at chapters 22 and 23, where Katniss and friends get facials. Well, that sounds nice and relaxing. Yep. Really stressful 24 hours and then spa day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you join us on Patreon so that you can get access to all the bonus content we're producing as we're reading through The Hunger Games. You can also help out the show by telling a friend and having them read along with us. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Instagram or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.